actually started my career at Lehman Brothers, which became one of the most infamous uh, distressed companies and bankruptcies, I think, of our generation. So it was a really, really wild time, I think, um, in terms of getting a street education and uh, kind of a front row seat to how businesses operate or don't operate. It was incredibly eye-opening. Grit, determination, confidence and courage in the face of fear, the hallmarks of an entrepreneur. In each episode, we talk to some of the most dynamic and diehard leaders making big things happen. Welcome to the Success Lab Podcast. Welcome to the Success Lab. In this episode, I'm joined by Anna Mason, Director of Investments for Rise of the Rest, and I'm so excited to talk to you. Um, So thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much, Beth. I'm really excited to be with you. Cool. Well, um, just so so other folks know, can you tell us a little bit about your role at Rise of the Rest and kind of what Rise of the Rest is all about? Yeah, absolutely. And it was great to connect uh, when we were actually in Phoenix for mm-hmm. our fifth Rise of the Rest tour. Uh, Rise of the Rest is a platform that was launched just about three years ago out of Revolution, which is an investment firm based in Washington, D.C., where I live. Uh, that was founded by Steve Case, who's also the co-founder of AOL, or America Online, um, and Ted Leonsis, who is also an executive at AOL and is now also uh, one of the owners of the, a number of professional sports teams in Washington, D.C., like the Wizards and the Capitals. And Rise of the Rest is a platform that embodies the investment thesis of the investments that we make at Revolution as a firm, which is the, which is the idea and the focus on investing in entrepreneurs and companies in cities all across the country. So right now, one of the most powerful statistics about the dispersion of venture capital across the country is that 78% of all venture capital goes to three states, California, New York, and Massachusetts. And there is a belief and an ethos in the firm from you know Steve straight on down that it's good business and smart business to be investing in companies and opportunities in cities all across the country. So about three years ago, we literally decided to take the show on the road um, and we launched uh, a biannual bus tour where twice a year we go to five cities in five days and we celebrate and spotlight entrepreneurship. And so the way the actual tour runs is that when we go to each of these cities, we do about 10 hours of programming per day. We meet with governors, mayors, senators, startup founders. Uh, We go to incubators and accelerators, and then we meet with companies that are much later stage, what we would often call tentpole companies that have really made it and raised a lot of capital and are helping to support the next level of conversation and direction in a city. Um, Each day culminates in a pitch competition where we have eight early stage companies who pitch in front of Steve, a group of judges, and, you know, in Phoenix, it was a crowd of over a thousand, which was amazing. Um, And Steve will invest $100,000 personally in the winning company. Um, So it's, it's a really exciting opportunity to literally experience the country and cities all across the country through the lens of entrepreneurship. Uh, so my role as director of investments for Rise the Rest uh, is a couplefold. Uh, the first prong of my job is that I produce the tours. So I get to work with a phenomenal team of folks at Revolution and then a number of um, partners and organizations that we work with nationally on the tour, like Google for Entrepreneurs, Salesforce for Startups, Village Capital. 
Startup Grind, and a number of others. And then uh, we go into each of these cities and we work with local partners in each of the cities to figure out how to tell this story and how to tell this narrative. We literally come for one day and it's really important that we're able to really share the narrative of you know what is the heartbeat of the city and of the entrepreneurial ecosystem in the city. What makes the city unique? What's working? What's not? What can be improved? Um, you know, who are who are the kind of key players that want to tell that story? So I produce the tours, and then I help manage the portfolio of companies uh, that is the result of Steve's personal investments. So it's the investment side of my job. Um, and one of the things that I'm focused on right now is the third prong, which I'm really excited about, is how we take this bus tour. Uh, that we've been doing now for the past couple of years. And now we've done five tours. We've been to over 25 cities. And now we're really interested in figuring out how we can connect all those cities um, in a more meaningful way on an ongoing basis. Oh, wow. That is cool. That, yeah. The, <laughs> I mean, just to jump off one thing you said, like we met during when you were planning the the trip here to Phoenix and and Phoenix was on a Friday, so you had had a full day of just traveling from city to city, and I just can't even, yeah. I mean, you guys still had this amazing energy, which I'm sure, you know, being around that many entrepreneurs really fuels that, but it's it's amazing what you guys pull off. Oh, thank, thank you. It's a massive, massive group effort, and we honestly could not do it without all of our local partners and friends like you guys. You really helped us to execute um, an extraordinary and really memorable day. So we were, you know, everyone, you know, kept asking us how we could still be so fired up on Friday. And, you know, we'd literally been, you know, traveled 2000 miles during this tour of these five days. We started in Nebraska, we were in Colorado, we were in Utah, we were in New Mexico, and then we ended in, in Arizona and Phoenix. And, you know, we really just, I think, found this, well of energy that came from just, you know, being so inspired by these entrepreneurs and community builders and just groups of people who, you know, are out there every day, you know, kind of fighting the good fight to work on ways to innovate within industries and ecosystems and just help to continue to put their cities on the map. It's, it's incredibly inspiring um, mm-hmm. to be able to meet people like you guys all across the country. Yeah, well, it was inspiring working with your team too. It was very cool to see see that. Um, so, kind of jumping back to you, um, you began your career on Wall Street as a bond trader, and I was just curious, what? Yeah, what what drew you to that? Uh, it's funny, actually. I I studied government and English literature in college, and I think like um, a number of people in college, you know, like. 10 years ago, I graduated 10 years ago, um, kind of fell down the rabbit hole a little bit when it came to going to Wall Street. So I started on Wall Street in 2006, 2007, and it was kind of the height of the bubble. And, you know, when I was in school, I didn't necessarily have a firm direction of where I wanted to go, but a lot of people were going to Wall Street. It was actually at the time where a lot of people were... um, actually just starting to really go to Silicon Valley. And, you know, a lot of my classmates went to Google. Um, I was at, uh, I was class of 2006 at Harvard and that was Mark Zuckerberg's year. So a lot of people, he had left, you know, a year or two before, a lot of people were going to work at Facebook and 
it's really interesting to look back and, and now see what in so many ways has been kind of the rise of tech and entrepreneurship and, and in a lot of ways, um, you know, a different part of the cycle, maybe a different inflection point for Wall Street. And um, it was, you know, it was kind of crazy. I went to get a front row seat to how companies operate and, and are built and, and kind of rise and fall. I worked on what's called the distress desk as a bond trader. And so distressed bonds are uh, the corporate debt of companies that are bankrupt, near bankrupt, or in high distress. Um, I actually started my career at Lehman Brothers, which became one of the most infamous uh, distressed companies and bankruptcies, I think, of our generation. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a really, really wild time, I think, um, in terms of getting a street education and uh, kind of a front row seat to, um, uh, you know, kind of how how businesses operate or don't operate. It was incredibly eye-opening. Um, and I learned a lot about, you know, the transactional nature of business, which was really interesting. And I think one of the things that I learned about that I have the most appreciation for in all the things that I do, you know, both personally and professionally is this idea of market cycles and every industry, every company, and in my opinion, you know, every person, you know, kind of has these market cycles that they go through. Things don't go, things don't go straight up and they don't go straight down. And, you know, gave me a really, really deep appreciation for um, the cycles and kind of where where you can be in the timing and the life cycle of your company. Um, I think about it a lot in, you know, when we go to some of these cities where different cities or ecosystems are in the life cycle of their ecosystem. And it's really um, it was an incredible lesson to learn, I think, really, really early on, like right out of college. Um, and then, you know, I did that for seven plus years to really have the opportunity to see that it was really neat. Yeah. What, what an amazing thing to carry on then into entrepreneurship. And, and that's, that's such an interesting takeaway too. And, and so I think even on the personal side of entrepreneurship, there's times, you know, you, you do have to kind of, uh, weather those, those ups and downs and, and, I think entrepreneurs can tend to be very hard on themselves when it is like a down yeah. cycle, but if you kind of have that mentality just going in, it could be so so valuable. Yeah. And the, you know, one of the other things that, you know, is a really kind of powerful takeaway for me and why it's really exciting to be back in the investment space and, you know, on the venture side of things now is, in certain ways, I almost look at it as, you know, two sides of the same coin, um, both distressed investing and distressed trading and venture capital investing is their high risk, um, high potential return opportunities. But what I love so much about venture versus the distressed world in Wall Street and one of the reasons why ultimately it made sense for me personally um, to leave a couple of years ago is, you know, the distressed side of things is you know, it's a little bit depressing. Companies are not in a good way. And in certain instances, it's, you know, the end of the life cycle or, you know, just a, a serious downturn in where, you know, where the company is versus venture where companies are just starting out and there's incredible hope and inspiration and possibility. Um, and I think, you know, while both are really risky and can have very binary outcomes, you can literally make a ton or lose it all. Um, I think the 
of the backdrop of positive vibes and inspiration that you see in the venture world of, you know, anything is possible. And, you know, people who are really, really excited about entrepreneurship and super passionate about these businesses and these industries that they're trying to build and innovate in is extraordinary. So it's sort of high innovation on one side. And then oftentimes, you know, in the distressed world, sometimes these companies fail and have gone into bankruptcy because they failed to innovate and they sort of missed the ball that was coming their way. So there were a lot of, you know, lessons I was able to take from that as I kind of think about uh, the investment approach on this side of things. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. And, and you kind of alluded to it that you, you left the um, left Wall Street and then went on to co-found a fitness community app um, that was acquired just three years after you launched it. That's amazing. And then you went on to serve as the co-director of the Washington cha- Washington chapter of is it Veneta Project? The Veneta Project. Yep. Okay. Yeah, and so that was a, an organization that helps early stage female founders in tech access capital and and network connections. But I mean, just you've done so much and accomplished a lot in in such a, it seems like a relatively short timeframe. What has helped lend to your success in each of these endeavors? Is there, is there like a common thread or, or a strength that you've developed that you think has really kind of propelled you forward? Um, well, first thing, thank you for that. Um, I, you know, I think, um, you know, I'll, well, I'll talk a little bit about the Veneta Project, actually, um, which is a national organization. And I helped run the D.C. chapter. It's, um, it's a platform I'm incredibly passionate about. And um, it's an organization that helps support uh, early stage female founders in tech by connecting them to investment capital and media opportunities, mentorship opportunities and, and just networks more broadly. And one of the reasons why or, you know, probably the driving reason why I was um so motivated to help to lead the, you know, the Veneta effort and the launch of the Veneta chapter in DC um, stemmed from some of my experiences as a, as a female founder. And, you know, we, we did a lot of things, right. We did a ton of things wrong and, you know, the learning curve, um, as I'm sure we all know in the startup world, is just incredibly steep. And I think one of the ways that you kind of, beat the curve or come up the curve more quickly uh, is by learning from others and becoming part of a network and part of a community. And, you know, when you go off into startup world, there isn't as much um, organic structure as you might find in some other industries. Like if you were coming up through corporate America, for example. And so you really have to be proactive and seek out those opportunities. And, you know, that was one of the things that as, um, a co-founder of a, of a, you know, first time co-founder of a tech startup that, you know, my partner and I didn't necessarily do as much and we had small networks, but we didn't seek out the broader network. And it was something that um, had really left an indelible impression on me. So when I had the opportunity to kind of be on the other side of the table, um, I was really, really impassioned about around helping um, other entrepreneurs kind of make those connections. And, you know, I think, the connections that you foster in the startup world to help you get investment capital or partnerships, other types of opportunities are really not linear. You, you know, very, very, very rarely walk into a meeting and, you know, pitch a prospective investor for capital and walk out with a check. Um, I think it's a, it's, it's a real relationship build that, 
you know, requires time and network connections and people vouching for you and things like that. And there's just such extraordinary power in um, the community effects, I think, around uh, entrepreneurship and helping to raise up entrepreneurs within those communities. So uh, I would say it was, you know, really the learning experience from one that inspired me to um, get involved in the other. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And then, I mean, aside from that, even um, just reading through your bio, I know that you're also a certified health coach and then a published author. So is there, do you have like a good productivity tip or how, what just, um, (laughs) I don't know, how have you just done so much? Um, Well, you know, I think, I don't know if this is so much a, a, productivity tip though I do I do have some um but I think just staying curious is so important and it just gives you this natural energy to want to go out um and do things and one of the the reason I I got my health coach certification is because I had gotten into the wellness business through my health tech startup um because of a natural a, a really strong consumer side passion around the industry and the more we we delved into that industry the more I realized that I didn't necessarily have all the full facts at my fingertips in terms of um, you know different health and nutritional benefits and giving the way we were building out our community our our app was called burn this um, it was acquired by a company called Beachbody out of California, and it was focused on the social psychology of fitness and the idea that people can motivate one another um, in order to achieve and accomplish their goals. So it was a photo sharing app where we would host weekly and monthly uh, photo competitions um, all around health and wellness specifically and give people kind of a safe space to be able to do that. Um, and I was I was learning so much from other people on the platform in a really organic way that it really inspired me. Um, from a from a you know personal and professional and professional kind of wellness level um, to go out and to pursue that, um, and you know I guess back to your original question about a productivity tip. Um, I think you know the number one thing that's always worked for me um, because I'm a huge fan of multitasking uh, is to make lists before you go to bed at night. Um, I find that. You know, whether you get four hours of sleep a night or eight hours of sleep a night, you can get a good night of sleep if you have an agenda for what you need to do the next day. Um, And then you can kind of go through it and check things off the list. So I'm a big make a list, check things off the list kind of person. Okay. No, that's, that's interesting. And do you, I know some people will limit it to like their one thing or three things. Do you limit your list? I organize my lists. So I um, will have a list of things that I need to do for Rise of the Rest. Um, I continue in my position on a volunteer basis at the Veneta Project. So I have a list of things I need to do for that. Um, I have an amazing, adorable, curious, and happy one-year-old. And so I have a lot of mom um, responsibilities. So I've got a mom mom and wife list um, of things that I need to do there. And, you know, just um, when you're juggling a lot, which I know, you know, many, many working women are, um, work, you know, working moms are, it really helps to stay hyper-organized mm-hmm. around that. Yeah. And, and I know one thing I think a lot of 
entrepreneurs and particularly women kind of struggle with is um, you tend to try to take everything on yourself. Is that, have you, has that ever been something you've struggled with or are you pretty good at, uh, you know, finding the right people to pull in for help? I've, I, I definitely relate to that sentiment and have struggled with it at various points. I think I probably struggled with it the most when we, you know, in the, in the first year and a half of when we launched our startup, you know, as with so many startups, you kind of have to do everything yourself at first. Um, some really great advice that I got years ago that I found myself coming back to once I was in the startup world and then have been able to take with me thereafter is this idea of um, if you're in a, you know, if you've started a business, you are probably taking on every single role out of the gate. And so you want to think through strategic ways to start to replace yourself out of certain roles. So you might be CEO, CTO, CMO, head of product, you know, head of marketing, et cetera, out of the gate, what are the, you know, critical ways you can start to think about strategically and systematically replacing yourself out of those roles? And so it's something I, I um, consciously think about and um, think I do a better job of now, but I certainly appreciate that it's, it's something that um, women oftentimes, uh, you know, maybe struggle with a little bit more than men. Mm. I love that. Yeah. Thinking about strategically, like how, how you can replace yourself out of those roles slowly over time. That's, it's a really great way to approach it. Um, and then I was also going to ask, so you've worked in industries that are they're really, really pretty male dominated. Um, did you ever have to adapt to how you carry yourself or communicate? It probably on Wall Street um, was really the one place where I think that that holds true Wall Street, in particular, a trading floor is pretty rough and tumble. Um, and there are a lot of really, really strong personalities, you know, and coming up, um, you know, transitioning from a junior trader to a senior trader on a desk um, is kind of its own rite of passage. And then when you, you know, kind of throw gender into the mix, um, you probably have to play a little bit stronger as well. So I, I definitely felt that. Mm-hmm. Um felt that on Wall Street. And it was one of the, um, I think it was it was part of the impetus um, for the novel that I wrote, which is uh, called They All Fall Down. And I sort of cheekily explain it as a cross between Liar's Poker and The Devil Wears Prada, uh, but probably 80% Liar's Poker, 20% Devil Wears Prada. Um, and that certainly speaks to a little bit of the gender, you know, gender experience on Wall Street. Oh, cool. Often, is that anywhere that other people could access it or read it? Or yeah, it was. Um, uh, it was published in September of 2015, and um, it's up on Amazon. Oh, very cool. Okay, I'll put a link to it in our show notes. That's cool. I'll have to check it out. Oh, thank you. Very cool. I'm, I'm I'm told it's a pretty quick re- weekend read. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, good. That's good for busy entrepreneurs. <laughs> yep. <laughs> So um, last question before we get into our fun speed around questions. Um, sure. What's one piece of advice you would give to entrepreneurs? Ah, one piece of advice I would give to entrepreneurs um, that I give to myself every day um, is to take what you do really seriously, but don't take yourself too seriously. And, um, you know, I think in particular when, 
you're an entrepreneur, it's really easy to get really, really myopically focused around your business, the project you're working on. You know, you sort of feel like the sun rises and sets with whether or not your business makes it um, on any given day. And any given day can be a can be a real struggle. And I think, you know, finding and remembering the joy and the levity in why you're doing what you're doing um, is so critical. And I think a huge part of doing that is being able to separate the work that you do from kind of your your place within it all. And, you know, finding the opportunities to not take yourself too seriously, get out there into the community, you know, make friends, network, meet new people, um, you know, being able to create that space at that time to do things like that will be extraordinarily additive to your business and to your mental health and sanity as you're trying to build your business. There's, um, I kind of refer to this mentality um, as a startup island where you can really strand yourself on startup island. And the longer you do it, the further, you know, the further away you get from the rest of civilization and the harder it is to kind of find your way back. Um, and so that would be the one piece of advice. I love that. That that is so true. Yeah, it's it's very easy to get kind of wrapped up in that, and and then I think it it gets harder and harder because you've distanced yourself, and then make up all kinds of excuses for why not to get out there and and go to that networking event, or you get very comfortable in that, I guess, on that island, and and it gets yep. harder and harder to get out there. So, yeah, I love mm-hmm. that. So for the speed round questions, so these are just quick, fun questions um so are you ready yep i'm ready okay coffee drinker yes or no yes majorly yeah (laughs) me too one business tool you're geeking out over right now um you know i'm actually obsessed with facebook groups right now um, interest groups uh i think it's i think it's kind of a secret hidden business tool that's also all driven around community and connecting with people Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. Um, do you have a favorite uh, piece of technology right now? Um, I don't know if do podcasts count as like it's like a type of technology. I'm actually, sure. uh, I'm I'm super super into podcasts as a phenomenal way to just consume knowledge mm-hmm. um, when you're on the go. Yeah, yeah, I'd love podcasts. Um, what's one book you'd pass along to a fellow entrepreneur? Uh, the third, the uh, the third wave, uh, which is a book that uh, Steve Bass wrote, and um, it's incredibly inspirational. It's kind of part in part instructional, part prescriptive, um, part storytelling from all of Steve's experiences over the past thirty years, and I just found it to be extraordinarily inspirational it was um one of one of the drivers that really motivated me and got me really excited to join the revolution team oh very cool yeah that one that one is in my list um who's one person you'd like to have dinner with Hmm. um it's not one person but i actually have this dream of kind of getting the dream team together from all the rise of the rest cities that we've been to and having this big fun awesome dinner that just connects everybody in all the different cities that we've been to I think it would be an epic epic dinner party that sounds amazing and for some reason I think you'll make that happen (laughs) (laughs) I'm hoping to I'm hoping to 
Well, thank you so much for taking the time for the podcast and sharing your insights and lessons learned. It's it's been amazing. So thank you. Thank you so much, Beth. It was um, it was a pleasure and and really fun chatting with you about all this. Thanks for tuning in to the Success Lab podcast. For more resources and collaboration, visit successlab.fm.